A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. What is up, everybody? Welcome back again to the Philly Sports Power Hour with your boy, Bill Calarulo. I said it yesterday. I'm going to say it again. What a time it is to be a Philadelphia sports fan. And we need to enjoy every moment. We got the Eagles undefeated coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. And we have our Philadelphia Phillies starting Red October last night in style. What an electric place Citizens Bank Park was last night. I want to get into all of it today. We're going to talk a little bit of Phillies to open up the show. How could we not? What a game. And then we're going to get into the Eagles. They do bring in a veteran cornerback. I want to talk about that, what that could mean for this defense. And I want to look forward again to this week five matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. But guys, if you're watching, hit that like button, hit that share button. The more Philadelphia sports fans we can reach, the better. It's our goal to make this the best hour in Philadelphia sports talk. I want you guys to comment. I want to be able to engage. It's going to be a great, great thing coming to you every single day at 10 o'clock. What's up, Cue Ball the Bird? Appreciate you. Decoy Gaming, how you doing? Eagles fan, I am doing well. Hope you are too. Everybody, Neil, I thought you said weird. You're saying word. Word is right. Let's jump into it. Is there a better home field advantage in all of sports than Citizens Bank Park in the Major League Baseball playoffs? And I'm not asking that question rhetorically. I am legitimately asking that question. Do the Philadelphia Phillies have the best home field advantage across all four sports? I have never seen anything like what we are witnessing at Citizens Bank Park. And I was in Citizens Bank Park back in 2008, and that place was loud in 2008 when they won that World Series. But this just feels like it is on an entirely different level. And I know the link gets loud, and I know for Sixers games, and used to be for Flyers games, those places would get loud. But I'm not sure there is a better place in all of sports than Citizens Bank Park in the playoffs. And we got to give ourselves credit. Philadelphia, we say it, people who live here know it, is the best damn sports town in America. And we keep proving it every single time the Philadelphia Phillies get into the playoffs. Look at what those fans did last night. And don't tell me that that doesn't impact a game. If you heard Zach Wheeler after the game, and I want to talk about his performance because, damn, is Zach Wheeler an ace. People throw around ace, ace. Zach Wheeler is a bona fide ace in Major League Baseball. But if you heard his comments after the game, he got asked a question saying, how is your velocity up this deep into the season? He was throwing harder last night than he was throwing at the beginning of the season. How's that possible? And Zach Wheeler said, it's this environment. He talked about how when he walked from the dugout to the bullpen to start warming up, that the crowd was so loud that he had chills. That is incredible. You heard Bryce Harper after the game say, it's 20 of them and 46,000 of us. 
that are winning these games together. And I truly, truly believe it. This Philadelphia Phillies stadium, this Philadelphia town is the best damn sports town in America. Keep it going. We got game two tonight. That is what's so incredible about Major League Baseball. I love football. Football is probably right at the top for me. You know that. But you win a, you win a football playoff game, you got to wait a week. You win a Major League Baseball playoff game. We're less than 24 hours right back at it tonight for game two, and we're going to talk about all of that. But Philadelphia Phillies open up last night, and you may have seen this on the news. The ticket prices, 500% higher than any other wild card game in Major League Baseball. And hey, it's simple economics, right? Supply and demand. And the demand in the city of Philadelphia to be in that building to experience the electricity in that ballpark is worth every damn penny. So if any of you guys were in the chat were there last night, let me know what it felt like. I couldn't be there last night. Let me know what it felt like to be in that stadium, in that ballpark. Someone posted a picture of Ashburn Alley during the game, and it was empty. Every single person in that stadium was sitting in their seat. I've never seen Ashburn Alley that empty. There wasn't a single line at any of the food vendors in Ashburn Alley. Unbelievable. I see JM in the chat saying Nola's going to blow it. We're going to talk about Nola, and I want to know if you guys have confidence in Aaron Nola, but we'll get to him later. Let's enjoy recapping that game one and that game one performance by Zach Wheeler. But before the game even started, Philadelphia Phillies, they seem to be doing everything right as an organization lately. And I absolutely loved who they had throw out the first pitch last night. There was a lot of chatter, a lot of rumors. Who's it going to be? Are they going to bring somebody back from the 2008 World Series team? Are they going to go over to the Eagles and bring in Kelsey or Hertz? Are they going to bring in Allen Iverson from the Sixers? But they bring out. Reese Hoskins. Poor Reese Hoskins. Everybody knows tore his ACL early in the preseason area. May never wear a Philadelphia Phillies uniform again. He's in the last year of his contract. Do the Philadelphia Phillies bring back Reese Hoskins? I can't see it happening. And he seems like an all-around great dude. Would love for him to stay on this Philadelphia Phillies team but it's probably not going to happen. And especially with what's occurred this year, with how well Rojas has played in the outfield, the Phillies are able to move Schwarber to the DH, which opens up first base for Bryce Harper. It just probably doesn't make sense to bring back Reese Hoskins, but such a classy move last night, bringing out Reese Hoskins to throw out the first pitch. And I think he also felt, hey, this is probably the last time I'm going to be out here in front of this crowd. Kissed his jersey. So it was really, really cool to see. So we wish wish Reese the best. I know there's some talk he may be able to suit up if the Phillies make it to the World Series. I'd be shocked if he was able to do that. But major credit to the Phillies organization. That was a, a really cool, really cool thing to see. But let's talk about that Philadelphia Phillies lineup. All the chatter about this Phillies team is, hey, all they do is hit home runs. Not a single home run last night. 
and every single starter had a hit. That is huge to start a playoff run. You don't want anyone in your lineup starting the playoffs in a little bit of a slump. We've seen it before. Guys come into the playoffs. It's a different atmosphere. They start to get in their heads a little bit. They can't hit the ball. Every single starter had a hit. By the fourth inning, the only starter who didn't have a hit was Bryce Harper. They had eight hits from eight different players in that lineup. That was awesome to see. And what you love to see were two guys, two big free agent signings, two years apart, who had their struggles. Trey Turner this past season, Nick Castellanos two seasons ago, show up in a big way, both of those guys with multiple hits in that game last night. Hey, I don't see a team in Major League Baseball that can compete with this lineup if Turner's hot, Castellanos is hot, Schwarber's hot, Harper's hot. This lineup is deep. And a lot of people were questioning, hey, is this a good call to put Brandon Marsh on the bench and start Pache? Pache with a big RBI last night. Big RBI. Great call. Marsh doesn't play well or hasn't been batting well against left-handed pitching. You'll probably see Pache again tonight. But just awesome to see. Absolutely awesome to see. I'm looking at the chat here. It could be because they can keep him on a friendly deal. Harper in right, Castellanos in left, platoon in center field with Marsh and Rojas. The real zeal is talking about whether or not Reese Hoskins comes back. I think it's going to be tough, the real zeal. I wouldn't hate it. I'd be in support of it if they could get him on a friendly deal. I just don't know if they're going to be able to. Hoskins has a bat. We know that. We saw what he was able to do in the playoffs last season. I think a team's probably going to overpay for him. And if they do, no chance the Phillies are going to want to match that with how the lineup is set up right now. But we will see. But we talked about Castellanos. We talked about Turner. We talked about Pache. How about Alec Bohm coming through with a big RBI as well? Bryson Stott coming through with a big RBI. And if you guys tuned in yesterday and watched the show yesterday, he was one of the guys I really wanted to see get going was Bryson Stott because he started to struggle a little bit towards the end of the regular season. Big game for him last night, big RBI. And like I said, you don't want anybody in a slump to start the playoffs and every single starter with a hit last night. That is huge. But let's talk about who, in my opinion, was the player of the game, and I don't think anyone can debate it, starting pitcher Zach Wheeler. What a game Zach Wheeler had last night. Six and two-thirds, only gives up five hits, one run, no walks, and strikes out eight. Unfreaking believable Zach Wheeler. And there was a stat circling around on Twitter last night. The most starts of six innings pitched and one run or fewer in the playoffs are Steve Carlton with four and Cole Hamels with four. And guess how many Zach Wheeler has now? Three. He is only one game away from having the Philadelphia Phillies record for the most starts in the postseason of six-plus innings and one run or fewer. And if the Philadelphia Phillies are going to go on the run, we're all hoping they are. I think you're going to see Zach Wheeler get to that record. Really incredible stuff from Zach Wheeler. We talk about ace. You know, are these guys aces? 
He is a ace. He is an ace in Major League Baseball. Some really great stuff from Zach Wheeler. And just to bring up a name from the past, Cliff Lee also has three starts of six-plus innings with one run or fewer in the playoffs. So we all remember Cliff Lee. But I thought Zach Wheeler was going to have a good game last night. I think a lot of us thought Zach Wheeler was going to have a good game last night. The question is, that bullpen. And is the bullpen going to be able to hold the lead in the playoffs? And that bullpen shut it down last night. Jose Alvarado. Man, that place was electric when he struck out that that batter with two on, two outs in the seventh inning. What a nasty pitch Alvarado threw to strike that guy out with two runners on in the seventh. And then how about Jeff Hoffman coming in in the eighth, getting a really big out, and then Craig Kimbrell doesn't want us to be able to relax, wants to make us nervous a little bit. Lead-off double by Josh Bell, who really probably was the best hitter on that Marlins team last night. He was a really good acquisition at the trade deadline for the Marlins. He's been playing really well, batting really well since they brought him in at the trade deadline. But Kimbrell comes in, gives off the leadoff double, and then does something I've never seen before. If you guys are in the chat, let me know. Have you ever seen a pitcher take an intentional balk? Have you ever seen a pitcher take an intentional balk? They were trying to figure it out on the broadcast. Was he concerned about them stealing signs? From what I heard from Ben Davis is Kimbrell shows his pitches with how he grips the ball in his glove. So he didn't want the guy on second base to be able to see his grip and then somehow signal to the batter what pitch Kimbrell's throwing. The Real Zeal said he did see it before. He did it in an extra inning against Miami. I missed that. But it was pretty cool. He did it. Kimbrell does it once. They don't call the balk. He does it again. He turns to the ump and says, yo, it's a balk. He wanted the guy to get to third. But Kimbrell comes in. He shuts it down. But what else I loved last night is bats were going. Pitching was lights out. But how aggressive these players were from the Phillies on the base paths. And we'll talk about the third base coach, Dusty Wathen. I know. I know. Nobody liked what he did last night, and we'll get into it. But how aggressive they were, and I'm not just referring to Bryce Harper blowing past Dusty's stop sign. Trey Turner, two for two with stolen bases last night. That's huge in the playoffs. To have that ability where if Trey Turner gets on first, that he's going to be able to get into scoring position is huge, especially in these tight games that usually playoff games are. So love to see that. And then Castellanos, also very, very aggressive. There was that bloop single, which should have been a bloop sig um, single in the fourth. Castellanos shows his aggressiveness, gets to second base, just a great play. Unfortunately, gets thrown out at home. Dusty was 0 for 3 in this game at third base coach. But just love to see the aggressiveness. And then obviously we need to talk about Bryce Harper. I said it yesterday on the, on the show. I am not sure that I've seen a more clutch player in a Philadelphia Phillies uniform than Bryce Harper. He just has a flair for the dramatic. And my boy E. Nelson – I'm thinking that's my my fraternity brother there, E. Nelson. What's going on, man? Talking about working the pitch counts, the composure at the plate, huge getting the starters in the deep count. It really was. They had 
they had that starter working tough from the first inning, gets out of there really quickly. That is huge in the playoffs, some great stuff. But E. Nelson, let me know if that's my my boy. Yes, it is. I'm getting the thumbs up. So what's up, Eric? Glad to see you here, my man. But let's talk about Bryce Harper. Just such a flair for the dramatic. You saw it last year. He seems to come up at big moments every single time. And it's like one iconic moment after another. And I don't think we will ever not see that picture of Bryce Harper rounding third with Dusty holding up the stop sign and Harper blowing right past it. Great, great, great play by Bryce Harper because that's a huge run. Going into the top of the ninth, 3-1 and 4-1 are entirely different different feelings, man. Entirely different feelings. When Kimbrell gives up that leadoff double, tying run would have been at the plate. Well, with Harper blowing past that stop sign and scoring, that's not the case. It really, really lightens you up a little bit, makes things a little easier for Kimbrell. So big move by, by our boy Bryce. But yeah, real quick, I don't want to harp too much on, on Dusty at third base, but we kind of have to talk about it. He really was 0 for 3 last night. In the first inning, definitely should have sent Schwarber. Without a doubt, Schwarber scores there. He holds them. Phillies end up getting out of the inning without a run. Bad move. Well, I think he then tries to make up for it later on in the fourth inning, sends Castellanos. Castellanos gets thrown out at home. Now he's 0 for 2. And then I think he's in his head. He doesn't know what to do there in the eighth. Does he send Harper or not? He puts up the stop sign. Good thing Harper is aggressive enough to just blow right past it. But that was game one. And the beautiful thing is we do it all over again in less than a few hours. Back at the bank tonight for game two. And we need to talk about our boy Aaron Nola. Let me know in the chat. Do you have confidence in our boy Aaron Nola having a big night tonight? We need him to. We need him to. And we'll talk about him in a second. But the Marlins are going to roll out 26-year-old left-handed pitcher Braxton Garrett. He's a very soft-tossing lefty. He's pretty crafty. We'll see how the Phillies match up. A lot of lefty, a lot of lefties in that lineup. But what I think is telling is Braxton Garrett has never played in the playoffs before in his career. Never pitched in the playoffs, and he has to do it tonight in the toughest environment in Major League Baseball, Citizens Bank Park. So I expect this Phillies lineup to really work counts deep again, get him flustered. You know the crowd's going to be loud. So I expect them to be able to hit Braxton Garrett. But do we have confidence in Aaron Nola? And I see the real zeal saying, yes, he pitches well in the biggest spots. I'd like to agree with you, the real zeal, but he actually has not. And we're going to talk about that and what he did in the last playoffs. And then I see right under the real zeal, we got B-Sync Sports negative. If he goes five innings of two-run ball, that would be a great outing for him. I think I would sign up for that. I'd like to see him get a little more than six. You know, Wheeler did six and two-thirds. It'd be nice to see Nola at least come out in the sixth inning and get a few outs there. But five innings, two earned runs, I probably would sign up for that. Would you guys sign up for that if Nola came out tonight, pitched five full innings, and only gives up two runs? We will see. But the real zeal, to your point about Aaron Nola plays well or pitches well in big spots, well, let's look at last year's playoffs. Nola went two for two in five starts, pitched really well in the wild card 
and in the divisional series. Wild card against St. Louis. He pitched six and two-thirds, gave up zero runs and only four hits. Looks like an ace. In the divisional series against the Atlanta Braves, he pitched six innings, zero earned runs, and only gave up five hits. Looks like, yes, Nola is on fire. He's going to pitch well the rest of the playoffs. Well, then that's when things started to go south. National League Championship Series against the San Diego Padres. Nola got hit around. Only lasted four and two-third innings, had seven hits, six runs, and the Phillies lose that game. Gave up six runs in four and two-thirds against the Padres in the NLCS. Then in the World Series, praying that Nola bounces back. Game one actually pitches less, only four innings, one-third, six hits, five runs. Game four, even less, only gets through four innings with seven hits and three runs. So. In his last three starts in the playoffs, he has not looked like a guy who steps up in big moments, real zeal. So let's see it tonight because this Philadelphia Phillies team needs Aaron Nola to pitch well if we want to make a deep run this postseason. You have to have two pitchers. You really have to have two pitchers who can come in there and shut down an opposing team's offense. And we know, I don't want to, count our chickens before they hatch here and say, hey, the Phillies are going on to the next round. But if they do, we know that Atlanta Braves lineup is a lot better than this Miami Marlins lineup. You're going to need both Wheeler and Nola dealing. So what do you guys think in the chat? Do you expect Aaron Nola to have a big night tonight? I really hope so. I really hope so. But let's hope that crowd comes after Braxton Garrett and gets in his head. Because 26 years old, never pitched in the playoffs before. This is a whole different environment, my man. A whole different environment. And anybody who's in the chat, if you were there last night, I did not see, at least on television, a single Miami Marlins fan in the house. Over 46,000 people. I truly believe that all 46,000 of them were Phillies fans. If you were there, did anybody see whether or not there was a Marlins fan? at Citizens Bank Park last night. Pretty damn incredible. Pretty incredible stuff. And it's just, they're such an easy team to like. They're such an easy team to root for. And I started the show by saying how this Philadelphia Phillies crowd and this entire city of Philadelphia have the best sports fans in the nation. And they just keep showing that not, look, We get the bad rap. We know how we are perceived nationally sometimes. But I think what Philadelphia fans don't get enough credit for is how damn intelligent they are and how smart they are when it comes to cheering at the right moment. And Scott G., you are 1,000% right. I said, were there any Marlins fans at Citizens Bank Park? He said they don't even get fans in their own stadium. That is true. And JM right under him. There's hardly any Marlins fans in Florida, let alone PA. It really is sad. It really is sad, man. I I couldn't imagine being a fan and especially a player in a town where the people just don't care about their professional sports teams. Could you imagine? I mean, we are so lucky in Philadelphia that we have a fan base like we do. And to my point about how not only do we have a great fan base because they're loud and they support their team. They're intelligent. 
They know when to cheer. They know when to be quiet. They know what moments bring the best out of what players and when to do what needs to be done. And what was so cool to see last night, Brandon Marsh doesn't get the start because it's a left-handed pitcher. He's been struggling against left-handed pitchers, but he comes off the bench to pinch hit, and the crowd gives Marsh a standing ovation. Those types of things that may go unnoticed go such a long way with these players, and it just goes to show we have the best damn fans in all of professional sports right here in Philadelphia, and no one can convince me otherwise. I've said it since I was a little kid, and it's just such a wonderful thing to watch. And I couldn't imagine. If you're a Marlins player, that's got to be demoralizing. You come to the Citizens Bank Park, and you see how these fans are knowing, hey, when we go back home, are we even going to have more Marlins fans than we do Phillies fans if we had to go back to Miami? Now, thankfully, they don't. The way the wild card sets up, all three games are here at Citizens Bank Park, which has to be even more demoralizing for a Marlins team. But just awesome to see. And let me see what's going on in the chat here. Eric Nelson, once he gets through the order twice, Nola should be on a short lease. Not sure what a batter's average is the third time through, but I don't think it's great. Could be a situation where they use Ranger. Eric, that is a really interesting point about using Ranger tonight, because if you listen to Rob Thompson, he talks about how important game two is in a three-game series. Now, if you bring Ranger, he's referring to Ranger Suarez, obviously, you bring Ranger out of the bullpen tonight, you can't use him tomorrow as your starter. So it would be interesting to see how Rob Thompson does that. So I'm curious, you guys are in the chat, what would you do tonight if Nola starts to struggle? Phils have the lead. I don't think you bring in Suarez if the Phils are losing this game. But if the Phillies have the lead, and Aaron Nola starts to struggle, do you bring in Ranger Suarez from the bullpen? Now you're not going to be able to use him tomorrow in what would be a must-win game if you lose tonight. So we will see, but you're exactly right, Eric. It's always tough once you get through that lineup twice, and these batters have been able to see you two times. That third time through the lineup is difficult for everybody. So I'm seeing B-Sing Sports would go with Sanchez, the real zeal would go with Sanchez and Eric Nelson. Walker's on the roster. I don't think they named a game three starter yet. So we will see. And I don't think they've named a game three starter yet either because it's going to depend on what they do tonight coming out of the bullpen if the Phillies have the lead. But I'm praying, and we'll be back here again tomorrow at 10 a.m., and I'm praying we're coming on here tomorrow and we're all talking about how good Aaron Nola looked tonight, closing down the series, getting ready for the Atlanta Braves series, having a really confident Zach Wheeler, a really confident Aaron Nola, and hopefully a really confident Phillies lineup that is just so damn deep up and down this lineup with, I think you're going to see home runs tonight. They didn't have any last night. They didn't need them last night. Played really good baseball. I think they had 11 hits, but it'd be nice to see a couple guys go yard tonight, get that confidence going as well headed into a big division series against the Atlanta Braves and have to go on the road. And that seemed to help the Phillies last year, if you remember. Going on the road, you really only have to win one of two games. You're able to steal a game on the road and then come back home tied 1-1. That's a huge advantage. And Phillies caught a little bit of a break here. The way the schedule lines up, you should be able to get Zach Wheeler 
back for game one against the Braves on normal rest, which is pretty incredible break for the Phillies. And then the way the schedule is in the division series, if they get there, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if they get there to the division series, you'll probably get Zach Wheeler for game one and then again for game five, all on normal rest, which is pretty awesome. But guys, we will talk more about the Phillies tomorrow. When we get back from the break, I want to dive into our Philadelphia Eagles. If you guys know me, you know I do Legal Hands to the Face, a Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I'm also on the Jacob Sports pregame, halftime, and postgame shows. So I love my Eagles. We're going to get into the Philadelphia Eagles. They signed a veteran's corner. We'll see what that does. And we'll take a look ahead at the Week 5 matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. Hi, I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. Soganow helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you at Rafferty Subaru. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. What is up, everybody? Welcome back for the second part of our Philly Sports Power Hour. We just finished talking about the Philadelphia Phillies, Red October, 
how awesome it is that we don't have to wait even 24 hours to do it all again tonight. So pretty awesome stuff. But there's another team in this town that you know I love to talk about, and that is our Philadelphia Eagles. And they have a big game this week as well. Cue ball the bird. I appreciate you, man. Bill, you demand go birds. Appreciate you. Appreciate all the support, guys. Keep the engagement coming. I'm hoping that we can engage like this every single day talking about our sports. Cue ball. Bill, what do you think about Roby? That's what we're about to get into. That is what we are about to get into. So this Philadelphia Eagles have a big game this week against the Los Angeles Rams. And this is, you look at the schedule so far this season, and I think this is probably going to be the toughest matchup for the Philadelphia Eagles in this short season so far. This Rams team is playing pretty well. We'll talk about them in a second. But to answer cue ball about, Bradley Roby. Well, Bradley Roby is a veteran corner. He's 31 years old. He's played a lot of games in the NFL, played 126 games. He started 60 of those games. But it's very clear the Eagles are not happy with how their secondary is playing. We all see it. We've all been watching the games. And I talked about it at length yesterday that I am not a fan of what they have been doing the last two weeks which is taking your all-pro corner, James Bradbury, and moving him inside to the nickel cornerback position. Number one, you're not paying James Bradbury like a nickel corner. That's number one. And number two, he has been an all-pro corner in this league outside. I know it doesn't sound like it's a huge difference to go outside to inside. It is a very big change. When you're on the outside, you can play the receiver differently because you have the boundary as your friend. You know that receiver can't release outside when you have the boundary there. When you're in the slot, the receiver can go outside. He can go inside. It's a different style of playing cornerback. So I did not like bringing James Bradbury from the outside and moving him into slot. So looking at some of these you guys in the chat here, I think it's clear they want to get Bradley back on the outside. I know you mean Bradbury, B-Sing, and they get a veteran slot corner to help. Exactly. Hitting the nail on the head, man. That's exactly what I think they're trying to do here. But before we get into Bradley Roby, there's a reason he is still on the market, and we're in October. Every team in the NFL had an opportunity to bring this guy in if he was a really good corner. So that is my first Concern. Red flags go up when there's a guy coming in this late in the season. Now, Howie Roseman's done it before. We saw what he did last year at that defensive tackle position, bringing in Nadamakan Sue and Linval Joseph late in the season. And those guys still had some left in the tank, and they played really well in that run the Eagles had to the Super Bowl. But how much does Bradley Roby have left? And it wasn't as if he had a great season last year either, but let's talk a little bit about some of his career stats here. He's 31 years old. He was a first-round pick back in 2014 of the Denver Broncos coming out of Ohio State. Actually won a Super Bowl with Denver in 2015. Wasn't really a starter on that team, but he is a Super Bowl winner, so you love you do love adding that type of experience to your locker room. You got a guy who's been to the mountaintop who can really veteran some of these younger guys. In his career, he's got 11 interceptions, 
356 tackles, five sacks. And this one's interesting, four defensive touchdowns. So clearly the guy has some playmaking ability. And JM, I hope you're right, man. I said, bringing in a guy like Roby who wasn't signed this late, he said either we're Morrow or Cunningham. Yeah, and those linebackers are playing really well. But how many times can you expect Howie Roseman to hit it out of the park on a signing like that? It's The odds are against you. When you bring in a guy this late in the season, this late when all these other teams had opportunities to sign him, you're not going to hit a home run every single time. So they, good job on Morrow. Good job on Cunningham. Can they do it again with Bradley Roby? Did it last year with Joseph? Did it last year with Sue? You know, you're asking a lot for these guys to keep coming in and being able to play well. But, JM, you are right. We don't need Roby to be an all-pro, but we need him to be better than what the Eagles are currently getting from Josh Job on the outside, and we'll talk about that. But throughout his career, Bradley Roby, 11 interceptions, 356 tackles, five sacks, and four defensive touchdowns. Played five seasons in Denver, 14 through 18. Had a really bad year in 2018, and that was the first year where he really stepped in as a starter. He started 15 games for them. I think they were hopeful that he was going to be the guy that could really be one of their lockdown corners. Didn't play well in 2018. Then gets signed by the Houston Texans. Plays two seasons there. Gets suspended for six games for performance-enhancing drugs. Don't know what that was all about, but he bounces back. Plays for the New Orleans Saints in 21. Only has one start. In 22, has 10 starts. And it's clear what the Eagles like about this guy is he played over 300 snaps at the slot position last year. And he also played 260 snaps outside. So he has versatility to play both inside and outside. So that's a pretty good move by them to give you guys you know, that versatility. But I didn't think he played that great last year. I went back and watched a little bit of it. I looked at his pro football focus grade from last year. Last season was the worst pro football focus grade Bradley Roby had in his career. So you don't like to see that on a 31-year-old corner who had his worst year after the age of 30 isn't necessarily a good sign for him to really be able to contribute this season. But we will see. You actually look at the stats. They weren't horrible. He was targeted 63 times, gave up 34 catches, 400 yards, one touchdown, quarterback rating of 79.4, and only a completion rate of 54%. So that's not horrible, but you look at the pro football focus grade, it kind of tells you otherwise about how well he played. So the question in the chat is from Scott Chairs, how long before Roby actually plays? It'll be interesting. There's some chatter. They may try to roll him out this week against the Rams. I would be shocked if that happened. You got a guy who just got here trying to learn a defense. I don't think he plays this week against the Los Angeles Rams. Maybe next week against the New York Jets makes sense, especially because I know Zach Wilson played a little bit better the other night. But you're playing against Zach Wilson. I think that would be a good opportunity to put a guy out there, have him learn a little bit against a quarterback who's not Matt Stafford. Because we talked about it yesterday, and we're going to talk more about it in a second. Matt Stafford, even at 35 years old, is still a very good passer. This guy's been doing it a long time in the NFL, and he is a good passer. And that Rams offense 
is playing pretty well at the moment. But Bradley Roby, we'll see what the Eagles have there. But I said it yesterday, and I will say it again. I do not want James Bradbury in the slot. So if Bradley Roby's not the answer, if he cannot play the slot position on this Philadelphia Eagles team, you still move Bradbury outside. And I am a strong proponent of once Sidney Brown is healthy, give him a shot there at the slot. Give him a shot playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. We know how physical he is. Let him get his hands on some of these slot receivers. Let him get up there to try to help out in the, in the run game. And then at that point, when you come to nickel, you can hopefully Justin Evans is healthy. He's got that neck injury. Hopefully he gets back there at safety as well because there's two guys in that secondary I would be fine not seeing back there again, and that's Terrell Edmonds at safety and Josh Job at outside corner. So if it's not Bradley Roby, let's hope it is. Let's hope Howie Roseman worked his magic again. But if it's not Roby, I think it's got to be either Sidney Brown or, hell, at this point, I'd even try Mario Goodrich or Eli Ricks or Keely Ringo. But the answer is not Josh Job. And got to say what's up to my boy, Matt Lagoy. Good stuff, Bill. Big fan. Roby has the pedigree and experience. Hopefully has some gas left in the tank. Would rather roll with him than Goodrich. Matt. Appreciate the engagement, man. Appreciate you watching the show. And you may be right. You may be right. Goodrich didn't look great when he was in. And a lot of times we've talked about this before with this Philadelphia Eagles team. doesn't matter what they say. It's what they do. And that can really indicate a lot about their confidence level in players. And the fact that they don't even dress Mario Goodrich a couple weeks ago when everyone was expecting him to be your starting nickel corner signals to me they don't have any confidence in him at all. And you just look at the snap counts from this past game against the Washington Commanders on that defense. And this is also very, very telling. On defense against the Washington Commanders, Keely Ringo, Christian Ellis, Eli Ricks, and Mario Goodrich had zero defensive snaps in that game. So Ringo, Ricks, Goodrich, young players. Christian Ellis was a guy a lot of people were hopeful was going to step in at that linebacker position. But with Morrow and Cunningham playing so damn well, you just don't need Ellis on the field. But you look at these young corners, they don't have a lot of trust in Ringo yet, clearly don't have trust in Mario Goodrich, and even Eli Ricks, who was a surprise player to make this team, had a really good preseason. They haven't shown that they had any trust in him yet either. And sticking with these snap counts, too, one that I still am not understanding is why they are giving Derek Barnett so many damn snaps on the defensive side of the ball. He played 23% of the snaps. That was 18 defensive snaps. And you look at a guy like Nolan Smith, who I get it. He's still learning. He's a young guy. He's had some struggles if you watch him on tape. He's not necessarily making the right plays every time. But get him some experience. Now, we're going to need a guy like Nolan Smith. Derek Barnett, I've seen enough of Derek Barnett over his career. He has more penalties in his career than he does sacks. I've had enough of it. I'm done. Let's move on. You don't need to give Derek Barnett any more opportunities. Now, the only thing I can think of, and I am hoping the reason they are showcasing him is in hopes that maybe someone comes along and wants to trade for him. I'd be surprised. FF Explorer just took the words right out of my mouth. Maybe they want to showcase Barnett for a trade. That is exactly what I am hoping they are doing. So 
We will see. Kevin Savard asking about Dean at inside corner. I don't think he would have the ability to do that. He doesn't. He's never done that before. And you, you put a linebacker at that slot corner position, that's a huge mismatch for opposing offenses there. But I'm hoping that they're showcasing Derek Barnett because I just don't understand why you're giving him as many reps as you are giving him. But also looking at the snaps on that defensive side of the ball. And let's take a moment to fully appreciate what you are seeing from Fletcher Cox. A lot of fans weren't happy that the Eagles paid him what they paid him in the offseason to bring him back. We are seeing vintage Fletcher Cox the first four weeks of the season, and he is playing a ton on that defensive side of the ball. Against the Washington Commanders, he played 74% of the snaps, the most out of any defensive tackle, and he just keeps playing well. We knew he was going to provide great leadership. He's a great veteran in that locker room. But I'm not sure I expected him to play at the level he's playing at this much in the season, which is pretty impressive. Let's take a moment and appreciate Fletcher Cox. But another surprise when looking at the snap counts in that game is the Eagles have been running a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field with Goddard and Jack Stoll, which really helps out the running game. But in this game, Stoll was only on the field for six snaps. In that game, they didn't run a lot of 12 personnel, which is kind of different than what they did the first couple weeks of the season. And I think it's because they wanted to get that passing game ramped up and it worked. Hurts throws for over 300 yards, but we still need Dallas Goddard to be a part of that passing game. I talked yesterday about how good Goddard has been as a run blocker, which is great and goes to show how unselfish he is as a player. But we need to get Goddard in the passing game. And Sirianni referenced it in his press conference as well. You got to get Goddard going. But I'm hopeful. And selfishly, he's on my fantasy team. So I need Dallas Goddard going. I got Jalen Hurts and I have Dallas Goddard. Love when you get the quarterback wide receiver tight end connection because you get a touchdown, you get double. So let's hope. JM, we should change your podcast name to 11 Angry Men. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so let's jump in. I want to talk about this matchup against the Los Angeles Rams because I said earlier, I do think this is going to be the toughest matchup that the Eagles have had this season. And the reason why is you look at this passing defense, and we talked about the injuries. We've talked about the problems. Oh, I get it, JM, a legal pun. So for those of you who don't know, I am an attorney in a previous life, was a trial lawyer for 15 years. And I'm taking those same trial skills and bringing them to sports talk. So if I could talk to judges and juries about the law, let me tell you, it's a lot more fun to talk sports with you guys. So I'm enjoying this a lot. But you look at what this Philadelphia Eagles defense has done, and we know they've had injuries on the back end. We just talked about it. But they gave up 290 yards to Sam Howe. Let him have a quarterback rating of 98.6. They gave up... 316 yards to Mac Jones, quarterback rating of 91.3. And they gave up 364 yards to Kirk Cousins with a quarterback rating of 125.6. They did shut down Baker Mayfield, held him to 146. But three out of four quarterbacks they faced this year have gone for over 290 yards and had over a 91 quarterback rating. That is a major problem when you're going up against Matt Stafford. And Scott Chairs just said in the chat, 
penalties helped hell out tremendously. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. 11 penalties on that Philadelphia Eagles team, but too many penalties on third down. And that is one of the major areas that has me concerned in this matchup is we'll talk about the passing game in a second, but now that you brought it up, I want to talk about third down and red zone. And I referenced it yesterday as well. But one of the areas that this defense has really, really struggled this season has been getting off the field on third down and holding teams to field goals in the red zone. The Eagles are 25th in the NFL, allowing teams to convert on third down 46% of the time. To put that into perspective, last year they were 14th in the NFL, holding teams to 39%. Big difference. No, it doesn't seem like a lot, but that is a big difference. You have to get off the field on third down. And then you look at this red zone, and this is what has me the most concerned with this Eagles defense, is you look at Jonathan Gannon last year, and I know a lot of people wanted him to be more aggressive, and all of those fears came back to haunt us in the Super Bowl. But one of the things that they did very well was holding teams two field goals in the end zone. Last year, they did, They only allowed teams to score touchdowns 53% of the time, which was still 12th in the league. You could be even better than that. But they held teams to 53%. This year, and listen to this, this year, the Philadelphia Eagles defense is 28th in the NFL, allowing opposing offenses to score 73% of the time in the red zone. That is not good enough. And they haven't played these high-powered offenses. And I see in the chat, JM said that Stafford was awful in the red zone last week. But you look at this Rams team so far this season, they're doing pretty well in the red zone. They're in the top 10 in the NFL. They're scoring touchdowns 61.5% of the time. And they're also in the top 10 on third down, converting 44% of the time, which is eighth in the NFL. So those are two areas that I don't think the Eagles match up well with against the, the Los Angeles Rams. Rams have been good on third down and good in the red zone, and that's an area this Eagles defense has really struggled. So hopefully this week in practice, that's something that Sean Desai and this coaching staff has focused on. And then you look at this Rams offense, and especially their passing offense. The Eagles have given up the sixth most passing yards in the NFL, and we just talked about the players that they've let beat them. And it would be even worse if you didn't throw in that Baker Mayfield performance of only 140 yards. Even with Holden Mayfield to 140 yards, the Eagles have given up the sixth most passing yards through four weeks. And this Rams offense is the number two passing offense in the NFL. So this Eagles team, not hard for these coaches to say, hey, what do we need to try to figure out this week? Passing defense getting off the field on third down, and holding the Rams to field goals in the red zone. If they can improve those three areas, that's a big if, if they can improve those three areas, they can get away with hopefully a win on Sunday. In L.A., first time Eagles have ever played at SoFi Stadium. 
And I see the real zeal saying, hey, the Eagles don't have the guys who can play tight man coverage because a lot of people have been throwing things at the screen, seeing how far off the ball these corners are playing. And I have the benefit on game days because we do the pregame, halftime, and postgame shows of watching these games with Seth Joyner. And if you've heard Seth Joyner, you know he knows his defense. And he was so frustrated with how far off the ball the corners were playing, especially when the Eagles were bringing pressure from their linebackers. Because you know when you are bringing pressure, Sam Howell and any quarterback is going to look immediately for their hot read. They're going to look immediately to get the ball out of their hands when you're bringing pressure. Well, why are you playing 10 yards off the ball knowing that you are bringing pressure and have to force that quarterback to get rid of the football? So Seth Joyner was upset with that as well, JM. And Real Zeal, I know you're saying they don't have the guys who can do it, but you're not asking your guys to do a lot when you're bringing a blitz knowing the quarterback has to get rid of, of that football. So we will see we'll see what they do this weekend, but that's one of the areas that I have some major, major concerns about. But looking at this, this Rams team, and I don't want it to be all negative today because the one positive is, although they are number two in passing offense, they haven't necessarily played the best defenses so far this season. They did play against San Francisco. That was a good passing defense, and they put up 297 yards. But as good as the San Francisco 49ers are on defense, they haven't necessarily been great against the pass. Number 17th in the NFL against the pass. So although they have a top five defense when it comes to total yards, they're middle of the pack when it comes to throwing the football. And then you look at the other teams they've played. The Seattle Seahawks, number 30 against the pass. The Indianapolis Colts, number 28 against the pass. And then the Cincinnati Bengals, number 14 against the pass. So they haven't played a really good passing defense yet. So how much of it is they've played weak defenses or how much of it is that they are really good on offense? And I see Kevin Savard talking about Higby, Nakua, and Cup. We talked about it yesterday, but I think Puka Nakua has to be the most surprising player so far in the NFL through four weeks. And we talked about what he did to start the season. No other wide receiver in history has ever done to start their career. And it'll be interesting to see FFE Explorer asking if Coop is going to be playing. He has that hamstring issue. They haven't released their injury reports yet, so we will see. But, guys, I want to end the show like we do every week, which is a little today in history. And I like to put a little sports spin on it. So, Today in history, October 4th, 1970, Willie Mays hit his 3,000th career hit while playing for the San Francisco Giants. So pretty cool right there. And then any hockey fans in the chat? I know it's been tough to be Flyers fans the last few years. Hopefully they get stuff together. But on October 4th, 1992, the NHL announced the Ottawa Senators were coming, and they played their first regular season game October 4th, 1992, marking a 58-year absence from the NHL. 
So, guys, this hour flies by. I appreciate every single one of you who have engaged, who've liked, who've commented. Let's keep it going. Hopefully, we're going to start bringing on some really good guests, and we have a lot to talk about. We'll be right back here, same place, same channel, 10 o'clock tomorrow, talking Phillies game two and continuing to look at the Philadelphia Eagles week five matchup. Appreciate you guys. Talk soon. Win and save this baseball season from Colony Pools and Power Washing, a local company serving Delaware, Delco, and Chester County since 1970. Are you tired of looking at your greenhouse? Is your roof, siding, deck stained green from algae and mold? Let the experts pressure wash your home and take the pressure off of you. Win with Colony Pools and Power Washing. Call them now at 302-762-2250. That's 302-762-2250. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500, or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.